Well, we are in what I believe is the uh, pivotal part of the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus 34 has been what the whole story of redemption has been leading up to. And really an amazing scene as we see that Israel has violated the covenant. The covenant is pictured as shattered before the people. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and God responds to the intercession by renewing the covenant. And in Exodus 34, we are seeing Moses on the mountain. And he is now, as chapter 34, verse 28 says, uh, writing these tablet, on these tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And so the commandments are being put back in place that God is going to maintain this covenant with His people. And Moses sees then through this essentially the glory of God, that God then is the Lord who is merciful and gracious, who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty. We see it on display as God is willing to take these people back and continue in a covenant relationship. What we're told then here now at the end of chapter 34 perhaps is a little strange. And that's what we'll look at tonight is what is being told to us about what has happened to Moses all the while that he's been on the mountain. And then tonight we'll talk about what that means for us in the New Testament, that there's much more than just simply, well, what an interesting thing about Moses, that this has New Testament repercussions for us as well. So in your Bibles, Exodus 34, and notice verse 29. When Moses came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, And Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. All right, pretty interesting little thing that happens right there. Well, let's get the idea of what Exodus is communicating and get the main idea there, and then we can talk about why this is such a valuable piece of information for us as well. And so verse 29 tells us that he's been up on the mountain here and come, has come down from it after being 40 days and 40 nights there on that mountain. And we're told here that Moses' face is shining because he was talking with God. That's an interesting declaration right there. 
We've seen with Moses something very special in his ability to speak with God and have this relationship with him as one who would speak to a friend and face to face. A beautiful relationship between God and Moses that, that we see. And what is then given to us is so as Moses comes down from the mountain, everything apparently changes. We're told that Moses doesn't know that his face is glowing and shining. And you can imagine now as he comes down the mountain and everybody now sees him and now his face has suddenly changed somehow that is now radiating with with this glow. And I want you to notice that the, the, the picture that's given to us, why do we see this as a problem except verse 30? The skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. In fact, if you notice the the wording there in verse 32, or verse 31, how it says that the leaders and Aaron all had to return to him. And verse 32 says all the people of Israel came near to him. You get an image here that Moses comes down the mountain. He doesn't know that his face is shining. And everybody separates themselves from him. They all back away. They all get far back from him. And the reason why is out of fear. And so here is this this, uh, scene here in Exodus that Moses' time with God apparently has now put an imprint of sorts on his face now so that it is shining as he comes and speaks to the people. And yet the people's response is fear. That is a, a key idea to what is happening in this scene. That how the people respond to Moses is a response of fear. So that Moses then has to call for them to come back. He speaks with the leaders. He speaks with the people. And notice the picture that's given to us is after he gets done speaking with the people, the things that God commanded him, that's when he'll put the veil on his face. So we're given in this an order. Anytime God goes and talks to Moses, when Moses talks to God, Moses then goes before the people and he does not cover his face, but speaks to them. And when he is done speaking the words of God, the veil then goes over his face and stays veiled until the next time Moses goes to speak with God. When he goes back in the presence of God, he unveils the face and speaks with God, comes out to the people and speaks to them again, unveiled. And then when he's done speaking with the people, the veil goes back over the face. That's the whole idea right there. And you go, okay, good to know, right? Well, what, what's happening here? We're, well, one, we're getting an important message out of Exodus is that in regards to Moses, the people knew that he had been in the presence of God. It showed. They knew that when he had been speaking with God, his face was shining and Moses would show that that was the case. His face would now be unveiled as he spoke to the people the commands of God. So this isn't just Moses, you know, talking, giving a lesson, things like that, settling disputes. When he's done speaking with God... He then speaks to the people what God told him, and all of that happens unveiled, so that all the people will know that he is speaking the words of God. And he is reflecting in his face the radiance of God, and reflecting in that the glory of God that they are beholding. And yet in their seeing of that, the problem is they're afraid. 
And so because they're afraid, Moses veils his face for all the other times that he's with them. All right. So let's do the so what. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. What seems to be insignificant in Exodus account is a big deal to the Apostle Paul. We would read that and go, okay, how about that? And let's get on to chapter 35. But the Apostle Paul won't let us do that. The Apostle Paul sees something very important in what has happened here at Mount Sinai and how Moses deals with the people. And he uses that as a means to explain a critical message of what was happening in his day regarding how the Jews were responding to the gospel and then more importantly, how we would respond to the gospel message as well. Second Corinthians chapter 3. And let's begin in verse 12. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant... The same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face... Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. All right. Well, let's talk about what the Apostle Paul does here and see the connections to Exodus. When you read the account in 2 Corinthians, it becomes difficult in trying to reconcile what the Exodus account says happened versus some of the things that it appears Paul is saying. Uh, If you have a New American Standard, NIV, New King James, the reading of it says that the glory of Moses' face was fading away. And when you read the Exodus account, the Exodus account doesn't say anything of the sort. There is absolutely no indication the reason why Moses had a veil on his face was because he wanted the people not to see that his face was now fading away, fading away, fading away in the glory of God. Now, what did Exodus tell us was the reason why the veil was put on? Because the people feared. When he comes out, And they see that face shining, they all go back. And they're afraid. There's nothing in Exodus that says, well, here's what the real problem is, is that it was all fading away and we didn't want to show that it was fading away. So this is what becomes part of the problem in trying to understand what Paul is saying. Is is that the idea? Is Paul putting something here that the Exodus account just doesn't have? Because Exodus didn't say anything of the sort about some kind of fading. Or perhaps we've misunderstood what Paul is saying. And that's where I'm going to come from tonight, is I think we've misunderstood what Paul was arguing here and talking to these Corinthians about the situation in using Moses in that. This word that is translated by a lot of translations, fading away, 
You typically means this. Render useless, unproductive, idle, or inoperative. Uh, and some of the translations try to reflect that. The ESV uses being brought to an end. Okay, that might be a touch better than fade away, but that kind of still sounds a little bit like something fading. New Revised Standard, Christian Standard Bible use being set aside. That sounds a little bit away from the fading away idea, but just something that is set aside. The Net Bible uses made ineffective. When Paul uses this word in other places, the idea is the idea of nullify. It is something that's been nullified. He'll talk about the law, and it's not that it's been destroyed, but it's been nullified or set aside. And, and that's really, I think, the idea of what the wording is. If I were to sum up what verse 13 is saying there, that not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not see the outcome of the law being nullified by looking at his face. A nullification works a little bit better in understanding what Paul would be arguing about what is happening here. Because there's nothing in Exodus that says his face is fading. Or the shine is dimming or something to that effect. There's nothing in Exodus that says that. Rather, the concern that Paul has is that the people of Israel are not able to understand what they are seeing. Rather than comprehending what it meant to look at the face of Moses, they don't do that. They don't see the outcome. They don't see the result of what this means in regards to the law and the covenant. Instead, what was their response? Fear. They're afraid. And this is exactly what he gets at here. Notice what he says in in verse 13 when he says, So Moses put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze into that outcome of what was being brought to an end or what was being nullified, what was being set aside. They couldn't see the outcome because Moses veiled his face. Now, interesting, it's almost as if it sounds like Paul blames Moses, right? Israelites didn't understand because Moses had a veil on his face. But when you read Exodus, why does Moses have a veil on his face? Because the people did not understand. In fact, notice the very next line. Verse 14. But their minds were hardened. The problem is not that, well, Moses put a veil on his face. The problem was they would not see. They have hard hearts and hard minds. And so when they see Moses, they do not behold the glory of God when Moses speaks. They do not look at that glory intently and understand the outcome and understand the result of what Moses is saying. What they do is experience discomfort and fear. Moses comes down and they go, we're out of here. Not going to do that. And Moses has to say, come back. Hey, I got something to tell you. Come on back. And he speaks to them in that way. And the Apostle Paul then is is making a point here is that what Moses does to deal with their hardness was put the veil on his face. And so this kind of helps us because this explains what Paul is doing. Verse 14 now of 2 Corinthians 3. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant... That same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Paul says 
Just as you see in Exodus how the people responded to the glory of the Lord as it was shining in the face of Moses, which was not to understand the outcome, not understand the meaning, not understand the result. He says, so it is to this very day. He says, when the old covenant is read in his day and time, they don't see it either. They do not behold the glory of God. They don't see the outcome of the old covenant. They don't see the meaning of the old covenant. They don't see the result of the old covenant. They don't see it at all. That's what he's trying to get them to to step into and to understand. Thus, that's why he says in verse 15, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read... A veil lies over their hearts. In Paul's explanation about what happened in Exodus, Paul uses the veil to represent the inability of the people to grasp the revelation of God. That's what he's using that as. Just as Moses comes down and his face shines and they all go, we're gone. Paul says, same way today. When the law was read in the synagogue and the people would be reading it, They didn't see the meaning. They didn't understand the outcome. To get more specific to the point, they didn't see Jesus in it. They didn't understand what it was all pointing to. They didn't see that the old covenant was all pointing to Jesus. And so the outcome was that it would have to be nullified. It would have to be set aside. It's not an idea of of the Moses face just fading slowly and surely. But by looking into the law, you would see that it all points to Christ. Thus, he says there really three different times in verse 14 and 15 and 16, it is only by turning to Christ the veil is removed. When you come to Christ, you look at that law and you see that was all talking about Him. That the things in the Old Covenant were not permanent. The things in the Old Covenant were not the result. Those things were not the goal. That was not the big idea. Those were only a forerunner of sorts leading you to Christ. It's really kind of the whole argument of Galatians 4, right? And talking about it was that tutor, that school teacher that was to bring you along the way. Paul is using the imagery of the glowing face of Moses to make the very point. They can't see the glory of the Lord Jesus when the old covenant is read. They miss it. Now, I want you to think about for a minute how often that argument was made by Jesus himself. When Jesus is on the earth, this is a point that he makes over and over again. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. See the argument that Jesus even made? You're looking at the scriptures and you're trying to find life. And it's like, okay, good. But you missed something when you were looking at it. You missed that Jesus was the way to get to that life. You were missing the meaning. You were missing what it was all about. You missed the whole big idea. 
when you were looking at the law. Because this is what Jesus would say. If you knew the scriptures, you would know me. If you know Moses, you would know me. If you were truly a child of Abraham, then you would certainly be a follower of me. He's over and over again emphasizing, if you truly understood what the old covenant taught, if you truly gazed into that law, you would see me and you would follow me. But as Paul says, their hearts are hardened. They don't do that with the law, therefore they do not see Jesus in them. Remember even John 9, Jesus would make that very point. That the ones who think they see are actually blind. They don't see it at all. Here are the teachers of the law. These scribes and Pharisees who are relied upon as the religious leaders. And Jesus says, you don't even know what it means. And every time Jesus says something like that, Go tell me what it says. Go tell me what, what that means. Go, go tell me when the Lord says this passage what that, what that means. Because they knew it backward and forward. They knew the scriptures. But they didn't know the meaning. What it was all pointing to. What the outcome was supposed to be. What the result was of what that law was all about. A little bit later in John 12 verse 37. Here is the statement that's made by the narrator here by John about Jesus. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. If you remember our study of John's gospel, one of the key themes of that gospel is people who, quote, believe, but don't have saving belief. They don't really believe. John 2 kicks that off. Jesus does not entrust himself to them because he knows what's in their hearts, even though they supposedly believe in him, but they don't see it. And Jesus does these miracles and signs and the people don't see it. One of the big instances of that is when Jesus is feeding the 5,000 in John's gospel. When Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John's gospel, Remember what happens. The people here are fed. And what happens the next day? Well, they all say, we all want to be disciples of you. And we will go wherever you go. And we will teach you. Tell us what we can do. You know, let's get the song. Here am I, send me. Is what they say, right? No. What do they say? Where's breakfast? Why don't you make us a meal? And you know what? Jesus goes, no. Because you see the sign, but you didn't see the sign. You didn't understand the meaning. You didn't get the point. You saw surface level. You saw the basics. You saw only what was on the very top. You didn't get into what that meaning was. What you were supposed to understand. They were supposed to understand. That's the bread of life that comes down from heaven. And we need to be with Him. And so Jesus turns around and preaches that message. And you remember what all the people did after He preached that message? They all left. And I'll go, that's too hard. Jesus turns to his 12 and says, do you want to go too? Peter, the voice of the 12 says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. They understood. They got the meaning. 
The vast majority didn't. How easy it is for us to do that. It is so easy for us to take a surface level approach to the scriptures. Just stay on the surface, read it and go, oh, okay. And not look for the meaning. Not look for how is Jesus in this? What do I learn about God? How is this supposed to change my life? We just kind of just read it as if it were like a novel of any sort of novel. Oh, isn't that interesting? And, you know, there's Moses in the wilderness. Okay. It's so easy to do that. And what Paul is saying, that's what they did. They knew all of those passages. They knew all of those scriptures. They could cite it to you every direction, but they didn't know what it was all about. They didn't see the result. They didn't see the meaning. They didn't see the outcome. And friends, our approach to Bible study cannot be like theirs, where we just simply get the surface meaning. We just simply see the basics. How sad it is today that what we have the tendency to do is just kind of take some surface level passages, boil them down to some kind of creedal statements, even though we don't have a creed, but we'll say these certain phrases that we have, and there you go. That's all you need to know. All what do you need to know? Well, you just need to know to believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live faithfully unto death. You're good to go. Everything else is gravy. You don't need to know anything else. This would be a whole lot smaller if that's all you needed to know. And yet so often, that's how the approach to the Scriptures is. And we're in a society right now that encourages that. That information needs to be boiled down to 140 characters or less. And if it's not 140 characters or less, then it must not be useful to me. Just boil it down. Just give me what I need to know. The pursuit of God and the study of the Scriptures is not a pursuit of, let me figure out what I have to know to get to heaven. That's not the pursuit. That's how you miss it like them. That's what Jesus says. You search the Scriptures looking for eternal life. You'd say, well, that sounds right. But you're missing the big idea. The big idea is to get to know God. To have a relationship with Him. And have His words change your life. To boil the Word of God down into, well, just tell me what I need to know. Just give me the, the basics. Just give me, the, you know, what, what, okay, whatever, all through that. Uh, and I know I'm, I'm so grateful that you all are not like that. I, I've heard of <laughs> preachers tell me of, you know, <laughs> one elder saying, well, do we really have to know Habakkuk to get to heaven? And I'd say, yes, because he God wrote it. <laughs> what are we going to do? Go through the Scriptures and decide what's necessary and what's unnecessary? What do I need, quote, for eternal life and what I don't need? We have to beware of that idea that we come to the Scriptures and it's just, what do I need to know? 
instead of looking and seeing the relationship that we're supposed to have with God. Which makes then what Paul does here now amazing. Because now come back and notice what Paul does here in verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses. That's a, quite a statement, isn't it? <laughs> you think about that, you know, <laughs> Moses is one bold fellow. We have seen quite a bit of boldness from Moses. And yet what Paul says is now, we understand something here. We have such a hope that we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. Well, what are you meaning by that? What are you getting at when you say that we are bold, not like him? Go down to verse 18. Because we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. What Moses or what did Paul just say about what happened here? We with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of God. Now when you put that in the Exodus context, that's staggering. Because Moses is going into the tent of meeting and when the tabernacle is completed, into the tabernacle and speaking with God and beholding the glory of God and it is radiating onto his face that his face shines. And he says, now we're not like Moses who put a veil over our face We leave our faces unveiled when we are going out and showing the glory of God to the world. We with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of God and we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And it is a picture then of how the revelation of God transforms us, but not just to transform us, but so that people see that we are reflecting the glory of God. It's one of the big ideas of of Isaiah that I love. Are these pictures like in Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 55 that give these great images of us being the ones who are rebuilding the ruins. We are the ones who are the monuments of the glory of God. These these great prophecies of what God's people will do. And then Jesus come along and say, you know, your light, your salt and your light. Well, how are we light? Because we're reflecting the glory of God. Because we with unveiled faces are staring into the glory of God, being transformed by that and now reflect it to the world. We're showing that. That's what Paul says. We're very bold. Why? Because we're supposed to be showing people the revelation of God. We're supposed to be proclaiming that message, which fits exactly what Exodus was driving at. The point of Exodus is not the fading of Moses' face, but that Moses' face was shining because he had been talking with God. That's the big idea of Exodus 34. Is here is Moses in the presence of God receiving the revelation of God. And because he's receiving the revelation of God and talking with God, his face shines. And now we, 
with unveiled faces are talking with God and beholding the glory of God, the revelation of God. And we then are being transformed and showing that transformation to the world. Which then leaves me with one real big thought for us tonight. We become what we behold. We become what we look at, what we stare at, what we focus our attention on is what we become. Which Jesus said that. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Jesus made the point that where you focus your life, where you give your attention, where you put your priority, where you stare in your life, is what you become. And this is why Paul can say, when we behold the glory of God, there's a transformation that's happening. If we are beholding Him with unveiled faces, there's a transformation that is occurring, which leads to a necessary question for us to ask. What are we beholding each day? What do we spend our time beholding? putting our focus on, giving our attention to? Are we beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus and the Scriptures? Or how easy it is to show that we value and care for and stare at the earthly things of this life? We become what we behold. We become what we value. This is why you see Israel fall apart into idolatry because that's where their focus was. That's what they stared at. That's what they gave their attention to. That's where their heart's desire was. And Paul is giving us this critical warning that we must stare into the Scriptures and that we would not stare into the Scriptures and just see rules or just see, well, I need to know this or what do I have to know enough of to get to heaven, but that we would stare into it and behold the glory of the Lord. Or to bring in Exodus 34 that we would stare into the Scriptures and we would see the Lord, the Lord, Gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. A God who is slow to anger, who shows his love to thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That's what God wants us to see. That's what was supposed to be seen in that covenant when Moses comes down and behold the glory of God and here is Moses and their response is not, God must be glorious. Look at your face. Being in the presence of God must be stunning. They went, what's the matter with you? And they ran off. Their hearts were hardened. And they didn't see the glory of God. And Moses has to call them back and make them look. And Paul says, but they still didn't see. And then in the first century, they still didn't see. And today, we may not see either if we don't look at it properly. In fact, consider what we are beholding as we end this. 
what you see in Jesus as God. That not only would we look at like the Old Testament scriptures and see Jesus and see who God is, but that you are able to even look at the life of Jesus and you are seeing and beholding God himself. That's why we love that phrase, that that statement that Jesus makes. Well, just show us the Father and it is enough. You have to almost think Jesus' jaw just comes open. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And you know the writer of Hebrews sees us on that. Long ago, in various times, in various ways, God spoke in different means. But in these last days, He has spoken through His Son. He is the reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's very being, and He sustains all things by His powerful Word. He is the very reflection of God. When you look into Jesus, you're seeing God. You have seen Him, which is what the apostles argue again and again. And so tonight, I hope we would just ask ourselves a simple question. What happens to us when we look into the Scriptures? What is happening when we look at it? Do we look at the scriptures and go, I don't want to read this? Do we look at the scriptures and go, okay, I know I need to read this. Let me just kind of get it out of the way. We look at the scriptures as an obligation, a responsibility. Do we look at the scriptures only because, well, it's Sunday. I guess I need to get this open. Or do we see that the glory of God is on display? These very words. And it is through these words that we see God, we are transformed, and shine as lights into the world from that transformation. That's the picture that Paul argues where he says Israel failed in Exodus. And Israel failed in the first century to see it. And may we not fail in seeing what God's Word is intended to be for our lives. It is the very picture of God Himself on display. We'll sing a song now, and we invite you.